This is the initial um, podcast, the first podcast on um, for Jane Jacobs and the Woo. And we are very thrilled that the 508 podcast is going to take a major role in hosting and producing this limited series. And what better way to start but talking about music and the role of public music in um, building great cities. So I have, I'm thrilled to um, introduce Julius Jones here today and uh, just a little bit of a bio before we start getting into a, a good conversation and Julius also has a guitar with him so we're going to have a little mini concert as well. Very exciting. So uh, Julius has been in our um, city in, in Worcester since 1998 when he arrived at Clark to study sociology and philosophy and he ended up staying working at uh, the Regional Environmental Council as a farm manager and a garden coordinator. Then he ended up going into a lot of different avenues, including um, what we're going to talk about, or organizing a busker's guild, very exciting work bringing music into the streets of Worcester, and also a lot of activism around worker cooperatives and um, and also founding the Black Lives Matter Worcester group here as well. And in his words, um, Julius is a love-centered artist, organizer, and adherent of divine love with a mission to catalyze healing and prosperity in the Black community. Julius serves as the co-director at Worcester Roots, bringing the cooperative business model to low-income communities by incubating worker-owned businesses and as I said before, he is the founder of Black Lives Matter Worcester. So I am thrilled that you're here. I'm thrilled that you're um, going to be the first guinea pig in this podcast series. Yes. So this yes. is going to be a lot of fun. Um, excited to be here. Yeah. It's great. And so I want to get right into that whole 2013 Buskers Guild and actually even start before that. I know that you came from New York City and I'd love to know what it's like in terms of the role of music where you came from originally and where where we are compared to what you experienced in New York. Yeah, thanks. And uh, thanks for having me on your inaugural podcast. I'm honored um, and uh, looking forward to a really good conversation. So, yeah, I grew up in New York, which has millions of people, you know, just millions upon millions of people. And... As a youngster, I was always like a people watcher and a face watcher. And, uh, a lot of what me and my friends spent our time doing was, you know, people watching. And New York is great for that. And, um, you know, that's just how I came up. And another thing that you get used to is street performers. You know, they're everywhere, everywhere, all the time, everywhere in the train stations, in the public parks, especially in the tourist areas. And they add a, a kind of vibrancy and, um, uh, a, it's a creation of public art in you know a pretty clear way, but just like how murals can passively enhance a space, so do buskers. And so when I came to Worcester as the second largest city in New England, and um, having visited Boston and seen busking in Boston too, uh, I thought, why isn't it happening in Worcester? You know, and uh, I. I sought an answer to that question and a way to like jumpstart the busking culture in, in Worcester because of my experience back at home, you know? Um, 
it's uh uh it's easier in New York because there are so many people and there is such a uh uh community around panhandling in in many forms people give money to people who are homeless people give money to people who are musicians but the culture here seemed um seemed different for some reason and so as a way to make it worth the while of the artists i wanted to give them money to to do it um and i didn't have the money to give to pay for the project myself and it was in the arena of public art and so I applied to the, um, uh, the, the Worcester Cultural Commission for one of their grants. And, uh, and they said yes. So they gave, uh, a couple thousand dollars to support the initiative. And the way that it worked was we got the grant and, uh, the, project was to pay artists $40 per performance and each performer was going to play for an hour and a half and then they could also uh, accept tips from the public and they could pick their location wherever they wanted to give it a shot so some people chose Highland Street some people chose downtown Worcester some people chose Elm Park uh, some people chose East Park and all over the city we organized uh, 40 plus concerts, essentially. And it was awesome. 40 concerts over how long a period of time was it? Yeah, good question. Um, the, we did an experiment in August, and then uh, the main thrust was in September and October. And uh, the, I remember the first, uh, the first show was in downtown Worcester. Uh, right in the common and it was really beautiful um the the hip swayers were the the inaugural group and they're a great band uh for doing that and uh you know then it just went on from there and it was people of all kinds of performance uh we had a mother-daughter duo from northampton came out they were called lyrical lords um my friend uh uh, Mickey played uh, this electronic experimental noise music on Highland Street at nighttime. And he, he sat there with these really cool shades and sat on Highland Street outside of the bean counter and played this really uh, awesome radical music. Uh, the Hip Swayers, uh, Dana, you know, just the whole host of, of uh, local performers came out and, um, and performed on the street. And it was, it was really well received. Um, people seem to really vibrate with it. They, people stopped and, and tipped and, and talked to the performers and, and watched for a bit as they went about their days. Um, everyone from college youth to people on their lunch break to, um, the whole gamut of, of folks from politicians to, uh, homeless folk were just into it. You know, there was a, the, most memorable one that sticks out to me is uh, there was a cellist from Clark. Actually, she was a uh, a doctoral candidate at Clark, I believe, and she played the cello in Federal Square, which is right on the corner of the EPA building, right on Main Street and Southwest Street. It's beautiful garden. It was beautiful weather, and she had upwards of 
20 plus people who just stopped and hung out and listened to her play uh, just her and her cello, you know? And it was really cool because she had her music stand out and she had her case open and people were, uh, you know, giving her a lot of attention and, and really vibing with her. It was really exciting. Yeah. What an exciting thing to bring to Worcester. You know, I've been going to a lot of cities lately and, you know, I've been thinking about what makes a thriving city. And I remember I showed up in, in one area, one neighborhood of uh, downtown Providence and I was so thrilled because there was a busker on the corner, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and I always think, well, this is a sign of a dense, thriving, exciting sitting city when you have people playing music out there, you know, and it, and it seems like sometimes what you were talking about with New York, that the busking community in the subways and in the parks, it's very spontaneous and um, what you brought to Worcester was so exciting and, and you put so much effort into it. Um, what was the outcome of that? Was there a continued excitement or enthusiasm for continuing that culture? Or what, what happened after the um, 40 performances were over? And how, how would you say that it, it sort of worked its way into the culture, whether it did or, or maybe it didn't? You know, what's your thought on that? Yeah, you know, I think about that. Um, I think about that. I think the answer, a you know, unfortunately or not, uh, it didn't jumpstart the busking culture in uh, like a sustained way. I know that people performed uh, and tried the busking activity again after the series was over, um, but not uh, to this day, you know, a few years later. Uh, one impact was it, it definitely engaged and got money and support to local artists. Um, I think, I think that's really important because some part of the culture in, in Worcester that can be problematic for performing musicians is that a lot of gigs don't pay. Uh, and then a lot of gigs that do pay don't pay very well. And, uh, when, when you have to gather your things, uh, pack it up in your car, drive to the venue, set everything up, uh, play, and then, you know, do it all in reverse. That can be, uh, you know, a, a one or two hour gig can really be like a three or a four hour engagement, let alone the practice that you put into it. And so, um, that gesture of appreciation, even though it wasn't, uh, very much money was, uh, really important for, for us. And I think it was success in that way. And, there was, there's a piece where organizing, uh, musicians, I, I liken it to herding cats, you know? So I think there was like a little bit of a, a missed opportunity to, uh, you know, get like a, like the guild really going. The idea was to, uh, get everybody on the same email list and have meetings and stuff. And that, that hit a little bit of a, of a rough patch, uh, cause you know, herding cats. But, uh, what did happen was people reached out to, uh, me and were asking for performers. So people who were looking for artists wanted a, a centralized, easy place to go to, to work with them. And so there were at least a dozen, uh, jobs that I referred to folks. Um, that was, uh, pretty successful. Ultimately, uh, organizing that many concerts in that short of a time was a lot of energy. And the way that the grant was structured was, uh, 
I got paid to perform when I did a couple times, uh, but it wasn't like a paid position. Um, uh, you know, so I didn't get money for uh, for time outside of my two performances, and so uh, that also made it pretty taxing. You know, in, in terms of you know time to energy ratio, like I had a job, you know, <laughs> and you know if I wasn't making money off of it, I couldn't like do it forever. Uh, but I think if it had gone on in a sustained, funded way, I think we could have jump-started the culture. And that, that piece I really uh, hold is true because there's a, there's a connection to be made there. Um, people want to play, and they want to play out. And the thriving sort of underground house show uh, uh rough around the edges, uh, you know, non-materialistic artist is out there in Worcester, very strong. And the opportunity to come overground in a cool underground kind of way is, um, is that niche that I think the Buskers Guild filled for that season. And I think if it was, uh, funded or, you know, supported in some kind of concerted way, I think it could be sustainable. It kind of reminds me of um, Make Worcester, Make Music Worcester Day that happened this past June, on June 21st, except um, instead of 40 concerts over a sustained period of time, it was 40 concerts in all these different parks in one day. Nice, nice. You know, so I think that it it reminds me of that uh, kind of energy, but just all condensed. So I'm I'm curious, you know, I'm thinking about Boston and um, whenever I go there, there's people in the tea and they're playing music. Um, and so why why is that? Do we not have the density here or there are permitting issues or what could make it that something could spontaneously erupt, you know, and not, um, it sounds like it was an amazing experience that, um, that you were able to organize, but also very taxing too, in some ways, in terms of all the energy that you needed to put in herding cats, so to speak. <laughs> so is there, is there any way, I'm, I'm just curious as to what cities like Boston or New York do that um, the, this spontaneously arises. And do you see places in Worcester, you know, whether it's the downtown common or Elm Park where things could spontaneously arise? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good question. <clears throat> um, so the place that I have the most experience with is New York. <clears throat> and so it's, it's a combination of the like pseudo scientific math of emotion and feeling, right? <clears throat> so in New York, there's places where there's such high density of people who are walking. And, uh, you know, engaging in commerce, you know, or they're traveling to and from a place that it just makes sense for a person to say, you know what, this feels like a good place to perform in front of a lot of people. And in New York, there's, you know, hundreds of those kinds of places, right? New York is also very unique on the world landscape, but it's also very large. You know, it's just like millions of people in one city. And so the crissing and crossing of those people is what creates that sort of energetic stage potential. And in New York, there's just a lot of places like that. In Boston, Boston's 
2 million people the last time I checked the numbers. And it has that, that kind of energy too in, in a lot of places where there's just a lot of people, a lot of traffic, um, lots of, uh, families and people going to work and tourists, you know, just that magical concoction of the energetic stage potential. And in Worcester, it has, uh, 180,000 people, which is significantly less than, uh, than New York or Boston. But there still are places where that energetic crisscrossing, uh, of a stage potential can exist. The places that we experimented with were all over the city from the commons to all the parks to, uh, really random places. Um, you know, people tried everything and everywhere. And when looking for that potential, the clearest place was downtown Worcester in the middle of the day, uh, especially around lunchtime. So it's really good to see uh, uh, that the Out to Lunch series continues. And I think it capitalizes on that by actually, you know, making like a, a formal stage and having performances there. Um, but for the busker, you would have to do that kind of thing on their own. And that spot is probably the best spot that I would say. Um, what's, what I know about the laws in New York is that you can play anywhere, anytime, any time of day, as long as you're not, uh, violating noise ordinances around residential places. So you can play anytime in the subway, anytime on a street corner, anytime. In Boston, I know that there's a permitting process where you have to, uh, register as a busker. And then you have to have your license on you. And I think it's per season or, or, you know, it's like annual or, or maybe multi-year, but you have to apply for it and then you get approved. And then I think you have to reapply at a certain point. I don't think it's like a lifetime thing. And, uh, so that's the law there. And in some places, I know that you have to audition to be able to perform in a place like, uh, Faneuil Hall. These are the information that I got from, from buskers in, in that city. And so in Worcester, they used to have a license that, uh, cost X amount of money per year. It was pretty cheap. It was like, you know, less than 50 and more than 10. Then it got reduced to a dollar. And then, uh, then it was essentially, uh, phased out where, where buskers didn't have to pay anything to play. But the law that applies to buskers was limited, uh, it, it limited the places where people could play, uh, only slightly. You couldn't play within a hundred or fifty feet of a school or a library or some kind of public institution like that. And then you also can't play inside of parks without, without this, uh, without this permit. And so when you do need to have a permit to perform in the park, you do have to pay. And what's really ironic about it is that the best place to play is downtown commons, which is a park. <laughs> so <laughs> you can busk anywhere in Worcester, but the best place to busk for free, you know, um, which is, you know, kind of a Worcester thing, you know, where <laughs> kind of a barrier, <laughs> a little bit of a barrier. I don't think it was intentional, you know, like that kind of restriction makes sense from, a lawmaker's perspective. 
Uh, the parks department has their own permitting process where, uh, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of a, of a hoop jumping thing, but you can get a permit. It costs, um, uh, a hundred bucks if you don't need power and more if you do need power. You know, it's a whole process that they have laid out, but they're very open about it. It's not like extremely difficult. You can get it done in two trips, you know, um, but for the, for the busker who's out trying to make tips, that permitting process can be, uh, prohibitively expensive, you know, like to pay a hundred bucks to, you know, maybe make, you know, an, an unknown amount of money. You know, it's just like so many question marks on how much you're going to make, especially if the culture is just getting started or if you're, um, you know, if you, if you're not like a super attractive instrument, like a cello, you know, people just love cellos. They get it mixed into a trance, but you know, a guy with a guitar would have a, have a more difficult time. Um, and so if I had to, you know, give an assessment, I think, I think that Worcester does have that, that stage potential in downtown Worcester, but the permitting barrier is, uh, is problematic to actually making that happen. When we, when we did our first concert, the hip swayers have, uh, like a portable amplification setup, right? So they brought that. It was great. It's all battery powered. We didn't need to plug in anywhere. And they got two or three songs in and a, a policeman approached us and said, Oh, you know, where's your permit? And, uh, put the kibosh on the concert, you know? And it was like so, it was so deflating. Because, you know, it's our first concert and, um, uh, you know, that a cop would stop that was, uh, you know, the, like that sort of exercising of police discretion was really, uh, uh, you know, made me curious. And then, um, uh, you know, it, it sort of like threatened the energy of the momentum of what we were trying to pull off, you know. Uh, but we went back to the drawing board and got the permits and got the permit for the whole month of, of, um, October and got the permit granted in such a way that it, it was for everybody that was in the Buskers Guild, everybody that was on the concert series. And so everybody got covered under one permit at one flat price. So then, uh, we organized a series of uh, what we called busking blitzes. <laughs> so, uh, like this, um, like the the music event that you were talking about, we had people in different corners and spots in the common at the same time. So there was somebody at the southern entrance and the western entrance, and right in the center. And then on like the uh, north and south entrance, there were you know four or five different concerts going on at the same time. And it created this like really cool frenzy of, of energy where you would leave earshot of one singer and then walk into earshot of another. And, uh, you know, it was just really cool. It's These like being, busking Everything's places. amplified. You know, you can, you can hear music from all spaces. I love it. Yeah. It's yeah. really taken over the, the public space. You know, it, it sounds like things like density. We can't really change that. We're going to be 180,000 plus people and we're not going to be as big as Boston. We're not going to have that kind of density um, like those major cities. So that main, that's probably not going to change. But what could change is 
expediting the permitting or even doing away with the permitting, which could encourage this um, lively street life, you know, that, that we've been wanting to encourage for a while. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if there's been any discussion sort of on the political scene about, you know, doing away with some of that permitting um, process. Uh, it, there hasn't been uh, that discussion in my circle of, of folks. Um, it would be awesome to, to see that, to, to use the, uh, you know, the learnings from the Busking Guild and um, removing that barrier to, to public art and musical performance. Um, and generally, you know, it's this push and pull between uh, Worcester lawmakers who are trying to maintain a sense of public order and uh like a sense of of safety not not necessarily safety from violence but safety from offense you know and you, you see that kind of energy with the panhandling law for example where there was a major pushback against uh you know low-income people who were asking for money some of them were even performing you know playing guitars in lincoln square or whatever and um so when the ACLU took uh, Worcester and the city of Lawrence to court and got those laws banned as unconstitutional, that was a that was a big uh, hit to the city. Um, and that I think that law was an expression of this kind of thing of like we want a nice city, and so that means uh, policing poor people or policing poverty. Um, and it would be. Uh, disingenuous to 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 not bring in the the race and class and intersectional elements of, of those kinds of laws the goal you can see of uh, we have a vision for our city that doesn't include panhandling and it and buskers and busking and performers and artists who are like kind of grubby looking and alternative or underground uh, might get swept up in that dragnet, and so I think that's what the uh, what the what the busking law was actually trying to go for was like, okay, you can do this anywhere you want except for parks, which are you know sanctuaries or and whatnot. But I think it unintentionally restricts the uh, potential of Worcester. Wow, Julius, you've just opened this up to a larger issue who's music and who decides what is music and what should be played in the public space. I mean, that's a huge thing, right? Huge issue right there. Who gets to decide that? You mentioned about uh, in Faneuil Hall where people, musicians actually have to do auditions to be decided upon who gets to play there. So mm -hmm. who does get to play and who who is considered um good enough and by whom in the public space so this is a larger can right here oh, yeah. you know oh, yeah. then then oh we're just going to have some music in the in the park or we're going to have the music in the street but who gets to play the music and gets to be heard mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and, and so that's a, a huge issue right there so i hear what you're saying that it's kind of a way to control what what gets heard and who gets um, gets to play out in the in the public. 
Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And um, the thing about those dynamics of identity is that they're always present. You can't, they don't go away when uh, when you're talking about spirituality or you're talking about art or you're talking about parking or you're talking about, you know, business. Like they're always there. Those power dynamics are just uh, very real. The, uh, the intentions of of folks are not to be uh you know it's not the subject of my pushback you know like i understand what people are going for uh i think it just unintentionally marginalizes people just for you know being poor or being homeless or or you know just being not a yuppie you know um and you know, there's nothing wrong with yuppies. There's nothing wrong with homeless people. But when a city has a has the opportunity to choose between the two, they usually choose you know young urban professionals who bring in money and don't uh, quote unquote uh, you know take from the they they don't take they they give you know and uh, you know, really what I what we're talking about you know in terms of equity you know it's just like fair treatment by our government, no matter where our economic station is. And uh, the sort of uh, policing of, of poverty or, or cultures that, you know, the people in power don't like or they don't know or they don't like and they don't know, you know. Um, and it, it just gets expressed in things like auditioning to busk, you know, policing the quality of performance as a way of, um, you know, maintaining a, a standard. Well, it's, it's, um, very challenging. And I have to say that you are the only one that I've ever seen out there, um, playing. I remember I was going past Institute Park. I've told you this story and I saw you playing the guitar and that's how I, I figured that I wanted to talk to you during this podcast because, I said, oh my God, he's out there. I've never seen a street musician out in the streets. This is so exciting. I just was thrilled. I was so excited. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I used to love doing that. Um, I don't play as much as I, I used to, but um, those days were, were really fun. You know, it's like a good place to practice and get some sun and run into people. And, you know, it's just a conversation starter. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just from... Uh, growing up in New York, that culture was, was in me. And actually one of my bandmates from Worcester, we went on like a road trip, uh, all down south and we, we went on like a little mini busking tour and we played in, uh, my friend Joe, uh, we played in Asheville and, uh, Knoxville and Asheville and, uh, Alabama. You know, like we, we played all over the place, but we also played in the subways of New York. For a bit, we played a couple sets in a couple different places, and it's just so um, you know, it's just good to be out there. You know, it's it's a nice energy exchange. It's like an offering to the public of like, hey, listen to us. We want to you know make a day brighter, give you some loving energy, you know, and uh, some artistry. And only art can do that in in uh, in that kind of way. And music is, you know, it's vibrational. It's energetic. You know, even when you sing in a sad song, you know, it's like still can be, you know, touching. And, um, uh, you know, Worcester could could really benefit from that. Mm -hmm. 
We're so lucky that you're here. And um, I'm wondering if you could give us a little flavor of your artistry and your poetry and your, your love and your music and play us a song. You know, just pretend we're in the downtown common or what's another good place around here? You said the downtown common during the day. What's another good place that's densely packed that would be open to busking and we'll pretend we're there? Okay. Yeah, I'd say the second best place would be Highland Street. Definitely Highland Street, especially in the uh, in the fall. Highland Street, right outside of uh, Pure Jews and the barbershop. That spot is great because it's got these little inset steps and you know, hundreds of people that, that walk by there on a regular basis by all those stores. It's, it's just a, that would be my second favorite place to play. Great. Well, let's pretend we're there and then let's <laughs> pretend we get a juice afterwards. <laughs> and so, yeah. Well, we're gonna Busk away. <laughs> we're going to need some horns, you know, some car horns. This is a song called Farewell, My Love. Thank you. 
Wonderful. <laughs> it was um, reminding me how I loved when I was a teenager. My friends and I, we would head down to Harvard Square. Oh, yeah. And um, every single corner, there was another street musician playing. And how everyone just loved to be there. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny is that the density is comparable to the feeling. It's really about a feeling, right? Because when you walk around Boston, you walk around New York, you can be having a glum day, you can have a great day, but when you see a street perform, it like affects you, you know? And um, I think the density of that feeling of those spaces is just as good, just as, as much in Boston as it is in New York. And that's probably because of Berkeley, right? It's like you get a city full of, of uh, you know, music students and, and then they go out, play in the clubs, make extra money on the street, get a name for themselves, you know? Um, and so it feels, the, the feeling is really good in Boston, especially in a place like Harvard Square, you know? And it just seems to spontaneously happen, although that I, I think they probably have permitting that people, have, artists have to get to. Um, but I, it, it, just as, as you were playing and you were mentioning about Highland Street, I was wondering what if there was a spontaneous call just come out on Saturday night in mm. September or October, you know, just not a, um, a particularly organized, but just an, an outward call, you know, just come, come down and play. I'd come through. I'd come through for sure. If it was like an outdoor open mic busking thing. That could be, that's actually a really good idea. Because <laughs> people like doing open mic stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, and you could keep it, you know, short and rotation, uh, you know, keep the flow going. And you'd have all the artists who are going to perform. You'd have a sign-up sheet, be a stage, you know, and then just like make, you know, like a concert blitz open mic style. Yeah, that could really work. Did you ever go to the uh, John Land thing in Central Park? No, I never, I never you know what did. I'm talking about though? I do, yeah. yeah I, this is this is the thing where on the anniversary of his death, I think, where they have this, like a big mandala uh, in the approximate location, I guess, where he was shot. Uh, you know, for like for 24 hours, people come out and just play like Beatles songs, John Lennon songs, just for like 24. I assume for 24 hours, but you know, it's the craziest collection of instruments and kazoo's and you know tubas and harps, and everybody just does these. I shouldn't say note perfect, but you know, people are playing like lots of different parts of Beatles songs all together over and over. That's the kind of thing I'm imagining. Though. Yeah. You know, yeah. where you just say like, "Hey, we're gonna like have our Worcester." Uh, I don't know if Beatles is the right thing to do, but you know, our Worcester whatever fest jam jam session fest or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And if it, you know, with New York and John Lennon, it's like he was wasn't he killed there? He was. Yeah. Was. Right. Yeah. So you know, so that has like a a landmark ancestral kind of energy to it what would that artist or theme be for for worcester you know what could people get behind cole what porter. would yeah what would be mm. what is it cole porter cole porter's worcester connection though very intense though well, i don't know i don't know i mean i, I feel like there's got to be some kind of public drum circles and stuff like that in worcester you would yeah. know if anybody would know uh you know i'm not as connected in that scene but yeah. when i was i didn't know of too many no, um, uh, you know, but like I said, there's so many different like walks of Worcester. I was more connected to the like underground house 
seen shows, yeah. uh, but less so now. Um, but I, I think that there, we could probably drum up some kind of energy like across multiple spectrum of, of Worcester's, uh, you know, public art wanting folk, you know? It'd be nice just to have, I mean, you would know when you were, I was a teenager, you would know to go down to Harvard Square, you know, that that was the place there were bookstores and, you know, we don't have as many bookstores anymore, but, um, just everything was happening. So if there were the, that, those kind of spaces where things just spontaneously happened because people were there. And I always think of Highland Street as a, a mini area where that's like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I also really like Maine South. I think Maine South has a lot of potential, you know, where there's so many people and it's very, um, people living there and their businesses and, you know, it just seems like a living neighborhood, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, so those two areas. And then you mentioned downtown, at least, you know, during the week. Um, but just that place where people can spontaneously come together. And I think that that's what you were trying to do with this Buskers Guild was, you know, jumpstart that culture, that kind of busking culture that would automatically just roll over. Yeah, a little shock therapy. Yeah, (laughs) a little little shock therapy there. And I think it could have worked. You know, I think it could have worked. The, um, you know, it was a really small grant. It was only $2,000. And... Uh, it was a short time too because of the, you know, because of the short money. But I think if, if there was, uh, like a grant put in to a bigger funder or a couple of different funders, like if you did the cultural commission and you hit up, uh, Greater Worcester Community Foundation, especially as the city is, uh, really drumming up this energy of revitalizing downtown, um, you could work with a place like, the folks at Brew, Brew on the Grid, or the you know the Grid folks. That's a organized community of business owners. Um, you could get the the permitting fees waived if you did it through the the city manager's office or the mayor's office. Um, and the, the beautiful thing about Worcester is, uh, I usually describe it as a as a like a big town, you know. Uh, or like a small city, but it's really like a big town. And every person that you need to talk to, you can find out their name and you can just go talk to them. Uh, people, folks are very accessible. Power is very accessible here in Worcester. And so I think if you, you know, got a group of 10 people together that were really dedicated to it, you could pull it off. I think it could happen. Wonderful. Would you play one more song and then... Well, uh, yeah, I can play another you, song. You don't have to. <laughs> I was thinking about. I was like, I was like, what I just had to dust off my chops, you know. I had to, I had to dust them off. See what I could drum up, you know. We'll see how this goes. If it doesn't go good, don't know. Okay, yeah. cool. Thanks. <laughs> uh, this song is called Fresh Grass.
rolling about The smell of fresh grass It makes me cry There's something about The way that you laugh Makes me smile But how Can you tell if it's allergies or something real? Something about old wood stove. There's something about your hair in the sun that makes me want to love you. But how can you tell? Can you tell if it's Something real, so real. There's something about. <laughs> good, try. good try, though. Good try. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> I, I never would have known there was anything. <laughs> Until you said that shit word. <laughs> but it's good to finish. You know, you got to complete the motion. You know, that's how you, uh, that's how you prevent trauma. I always say, you know, just pretend. Just go through it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just, just keep on keeping on. You know what it was? It's because I said it. I said Oh, you know, I don't know. You know, I I, had exp- I put the doubt in the air, and then the doubt came back and punched me in the throat. You know. Yeah, it wasn't sometimes. until you said shit that I. <laughs> well, thanks. So. <laughs> so there, there's so much that I think we could have four, five, six, or seven podcast episodes with you. I'd love to talk with you about worker cooperatives. I'd love to talk to you about your work with Black Lives Matter and with uh, farming and uh environmental justice and about spirituality i know Mm. we just kind of touched on that Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. but i i just want to put this as a whole with just this music piece um so that we'll we'll just frame it as one podcast and and have you come back um and we can talk about other things as well yeah yeah let's continue the conversation it is um it is a nice uh, wholeness to to this conversation that I really appreciated, um, and all of it is interconnected and and uh, you know with an intersectional power analysis, all of it is really interconnected. Uh, but a singular exploration of a thing is important too. So I was glad to uh, I was glad to be here. 
You're right. Everything is all connected and it's so hard to, uh, to separate it out. But I think we touched on little pieces of many things. Yeah. So yeah. I, I want to thank you for coming here, being the guinea pig experiment for this first episode. And I want to thank Mike Benedetti and the 508 podcast who yes, um, is going to put this together into a finished piece and uh, put it out there so that everyone can listen to it.